The public launch of ChatGPT has really greased the creative wheels for the impact of these types of AI technologies. We're seeing experts and firms scurrying, just trying to wrap their minds and their hands around AI. We had something similar happen a few years ago when chatbots for financial services started getting interesting. The thing is, these were primarily black box technologies that seemed very abstract from daily life for consumers and for the teams of developers at banks tasked with managing them. ChatGPT changes that. And with a slight change in interface, it's unlocked a lot of use cases for financial services. We're for sure early in this evolution, but companies that have been studying the space are already beginning to make a move. Apex Edge provides consumers, through their banks and fintechs, subscription management tools. Want to easily unsubscribe from a streaming service that you're not using much? Apex Edge makes that easy. It even created technology to help you negotiate how much you're paying for your subscription services. The firm, which has been curiously studying the evolution of generative AI since ChatGPT1, is already at work building the next generation of its product with ChatGPT at its center, including embedding it into how its flagship product works, as well as implementing AI tools internally to boost efficiency and increase productivity. For Apex Edge, it's all about scaling efficiently. This is one of the first cases we've seen of a fintech firm embracing the next generation of AI tools so openly. This story is part of a collaboration between Apex Edge and Tearsheet Studios. To read and listen more, please head over to Tearsheet, where there's a downloadable guide and two episodes of a podcast about how Apex Edge is using AI as a foundation for the next generation of its product, as well as an important resource inside the firm. I'm Zach Miller, Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief. Great. So who are you and what do you do? Hi, my name is Stephen McKean. I'm the CEO of uh, Apex Edge. Um, those in the industry may have known us as Bill Shark before. Uh, Apex Edge still operates Bill Shark, the retail website, though the company's name is Apex Edge. And I've been a technology entrepreneur for the past 25 years. And I'm excited, Steve, to, to jump into the topic of generative AI. I'm curious, um, your take on generative AI specifically as it relates to your field and what you guys do. Yeah, so um, kind of two perspectives on generative AI. I, I really do believe this is the third great wave of transformation over the past 25 years. You had internet and then mobile and then generative AI. And in terms of what we specifically do, aside from the generic use cases that most other companies have, quite simply for us, Generative AI is going to enable us to, uh, A, uh, replace humans with bots, and two, to make our great team to give them superpowers in doing their work. It's really both. Um, it, it, it's to, to, you know, have, to basically have bots uh, instead of hiring more people and then to take the team that we have and to supercharge them. It's really both. So you're really looking at generative AI, both for internal purposes and external purposes? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So on the internal side, we're, we're looking at generative, actually, we're not looking at generative AI. We are actively prototyping uh, generative AI uh, in the business to help us um, deliver on the services that the company has, which are bill negotiations and subscription cancellations. Amazing. So maybe we could look at how AI uh, can impact the different players in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, you, you talked about your company, but also um, your clients and, and the companies with whom that they work. 
Yes. Yeah, so in, in our ecosystem, we work uh, for distribution with um, banks uh, and fintechs, and I would call it other e-commerce uh, uh, participants. And then the other side, we deal with merchants and service providers. And so it's very probable that on the merchant and service provider side, they'll be used, they'll be using generative AI to interact with their customers. Um, you know, but again, depending on what we're doing, depending on the service. So for example, with bill negotiation, we save an average of $300 per bill per year for consumers. Um, companies aren't going to give generative AI the right to give away $300. You're going to have to talk to a person. Um, I mean, maybe in the future. And, and, and those particular companies that we work with, we're really doing them a service by keeping people on the platform. So I, I don't necessarily see them using generative AI because I don't think they're going to be using it to give away money and keep people on their platform. Um, but I, I think when it comes to canceling uh, services, uh, and there's there's a lot happening in the United States right, right now around subscription cancellation. There was just a three-to-one vote on the FTC on Friday or Thursday about one-click cancellation. So uh, I, I do see a lot of those participants using generative AI, and you will have bots talking to bots, no doubt. Right. So I guess what you're saying, um, it's interesting. So like the necessity to speak to a human becomes a, a competitive or moat, I guess, not even an advantage, but a moat to prevent the type of service uh, from people from canceling. But could you could you envision a bot maybe uh, on, on the merchant end Merchants using bots, I guess, to, to, to for retention as well, not just yes. to counter counter your moves, but to, to keep their absolutely. customers closer. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And and you know, when you again, when you take a look at the two categories, when you take a look at bill negotiation, um, we've had plenty of conversations with our counterparties, and they view what we're doing as a benefit to them because we're keeping people on their platform. In terms of merchants, when we're canceling service. Uh, we believe there's opportunities to open up a retention opportunity, a retention opportunity, because you know the truth of the matter is, is 15 to 20 percent of people that cancel end up resubscribing within a year, and and so it's it's a really fertile area for retention. So I actually see generative AI, particularly in the subscription cancellation side, creating a more granular, personalized experience um, overall. I, I think overall it'll create a better experience of the consumer. I think there's a better chance that they'll get what they want. And, and the same with the merchants. So I see generative AI taking the gravity out of an interaction and helping both the merchant and the consumer get to where they actually want to get to in a much more cost-effective way. Got it. So so let's dig into what you guys are doing. You, you mentioned your prototyping. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about what you're doing and I guess where the idea came from to actually you know invest in, in figuring these technologies out. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, we have a really outstanding team uh, and you'll uh, talk with our CTO, Michelle Mora, um, you know, but, you know, within the team, there's there's a group of us, including myself, that always have a lot of curiosity about new technologies. We started following the GPT models several years ago with GPT-1, GPT-2. And so what we decided to do, so when we look at our business, we're like, all right, 
we uh, we don't want to be tied to having to hire people to scale our business. We want to decouple scaling from hiring. And that's why we looked at GPT and other AI very, very early, because we wanted to decouple that. And the other thing we wanted to do is to be able to create different pricing structures, um, which we're in the process of doing um, when you decouple hiring from scaling. And so, you know, that, that was sort of the, the economic impetus. Uh, you, you certainly have the intellectual curiosity impetus. And so what we started doing probably two and a half years ago uh, is we started looking uh, at um, the GPT models uh, and also the models Amazon and Google were working on. And what we decided to do is we decided to invest on uh, making our platform AI enabled. And what that means is if a bot is doing the work instead of a human, your operating processes will still scale. Your quality processes will, st will still scale. So you know, right now you're seeing a lot of cool use cases um, around generative AI. And where we've been playing is, you know, that's all fine and good, but we want to have operating and quality and security processes that scale with using that generative AI. And so for the last two years, we've been making those investments um, in our infrastructure. And uh, what's really cool is we're pretty much at the end of the cycle of making those investments. So all, most of the time we're spending now is on the actual prototyping because we've already thought about, you know, uh, making sure our platform can, you know, have the bot do the work instead of the human. So we're, we're in a really good spot to take advantage of this. I appreciate that. I want to double click just on, on one point that you made, Steve. So you talked sure. about um, decoup the decoupling piece, but what about the pricing models? You, you said you wanted to launch multiple pricing models. How is that impacted by ChatGPT? Well, it's a little bit early to talk about that. Uh, you know, our hypothesis, our goal in the marketplace is to deliver a, we want to deliver a concierge personalized level of service on a SaaS basis. And what that does for our customers is it gives them a, you know, it, it, it puts um, goalposts on how much our service will cost, you know, since it's not directly coupled to hiring. You know, so you go from a usage-based model to a SaaS model, and you're able to decouple uh, scaling. Um, and we, we think that will, you know, we, we think it'll take a little longer to happen on the bill negotiation side because it's more complex. But we, we can see that happening on the subscription cancellation side in the next 18 months, if not sooner. So it sounds like once you've been able to decouple that, I mean, talk about pricing models, it almost sounds like um, you can turn it into not just SaaS, but almost a value model, right? By what, how much money you're saving them? Uh, possibly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's a little further out, but yes, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so, so given this prototype, um, mm -hmm. take us through, uh, you know, once you launch, what, what will, what will you and what will your customers be able to do that they couldn't have done before? Well, I, I think it's going to impact us internally first before it impacts our customer. Our customers, I think, are our, 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 for our for the end consumer. It should be transparent. For our partners that you know plug this into their app, you know, like a Mint or you know other large institutions, we're in the process of launching. They they won't they won't notice anything. I I think at the end of the day, um, 
it, it'll be transparent to them. It, it, it'll impact us the most internally first. And, and, I, and I think where you'll see the impacts is further down the road, uh, you know, in the marketplace, you know, when it comes to pricing. And you should feel the impact relatively quickly if this is successful, meaning you'll, you'll be able to reach scale without having to, to hire up. Correct. I mean, and, and again, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, I, I really believe that our team and the generative AI work in tandem you know, because there's uh, a lot that there's a lot that you learn. So there's a lot that you learn by having your team being involved, whether it's chat or phone or whatever process it is. We have multiple processes. And a lot of times what we learn can be fed back into the generative AI. So there's absolutely a feedback loop between the generative AI learning, what our team learns. And that to me works hand in hand. This is not replacing, you know, humans with bots. This is, you have this flywheel going and it, it, it you know, you really want to, uh, you know, your, your team's contributions can be amplified with the challenge of AI. Got it. So let's, um, let's zoom out a little bit. I'm curious to hear about the challenges you face in creating this prototyping and getting this, you know, bringing this into the real, real world, right? You know, I think Michelle is going to be better at talking about it because in the equation of uh, being one of the product visionaries and, and Michelle having to build it. I'm always like, that's easy. And he's like, it's not that easy. So <laughs> you're, you're always going to hear from me as the business guy. Oh, that shouldn't be hard. Um, and, and out of respect to the great work that he and his team do, I, I don't want to say that. Um, I, I would say that um, I, I think the, the hardest pieces of it are to make sure you maintain your security and your security protocols. Cause you know, we are SOC 2. We are working with financial institutions. So that's definitely a piece. You know, we spend a lot of time training our team on security protocols. And it would be it would be rather foolish if we built this bot and it didn't adhere to the security. That would be really bad. So I think that's um, a piece. I, I think another piece is, is, is just the connectivity and, and how the generative AI works in your ecosystem, making sure it can interact properly with all the systems. So the actual... You know, plugging into uh, a generative AI model and having it do what you want to do is not that hard. It's really plugging it into your own technological ecosystem to make sure it works smoothly. And again, Michelle's going to have a perspective, but you know, I, when I look at the work, and GPT four, by the way, solves a lot of the GPT three and three point five problems. You know, around erratic, you know, imp- output, it solves a lot of problems around tone and. You know, GPT-4 is really that most mature model to work with. To, to me, the challenges are really around security and making sure it it, it, it properly uh, fits in, into your tech stack. That, that to me is where the work is. That makes a lot of sense. We we had a we had a session a few weeks ago um, with a couple of scientists about the application of ChatGPT in financial services, specifically around banks, and it was exactly the tone and some of those outlandish um, responses that they, they felt at that time and, and four hadn't come out yet, but that, that were uncontrollable essentially. And, and for that, they said, yeah, obviously you can't unleash this in the world if that's going to happen, not in financial services at least. You know, you, you, and, and, and what you uh, uncovered is 100% right. Um, 
we felt very comfortable prototyping 3.5, but not putting into production for, I believe is production ready to put it out there. Great. So I'd love to hear uh, the rollout plan. Like what, what should your customers, partners expect to see in the next few months? As, as I said, I, I don't think they're going to see much of an impact because it's, the impact is mostly internal to, to start with. I, I think, um, I think once we get comfortable that it's call it consistent day in, day out, and it's predictable. I, I think our customers will start to see the impact later in 2023. Okay. Um, so I, how about answering that question? Um, how the, how, how did, how did you plan the entire calendar of events from ideation to prototyping to launch? Like, can you take us through that? Oh yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I think the, uh, well, the, the, the vision started two years ago by having our infrastructure be AI enabled, uh, our prototyping and ideation started when ChatGPT came out. Um, our production rollout schedule started to take shape when we knew GPT-4 would actually work and we could put it in there. And, you know, our, our, our I, I think Michelle will have a better idea as to the exact rollout schedule. Um, you know, but I, I do expect we'll be rolling this over the next quarter or two. And, uh, and I know that's not the best answer, but like he controls all the sprints. No, that's great. Um, and, and maybe we save that answer for him. Like that's a more technical question, but I was just kind of curious, at least that, uh, at the business level. Yeah, I, I would just tell it. you that it's, it's the number one thing we're working on. That's the absolute number one thing in terms of our engineering resources. It's number wow. one. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and let's talk, I mean, you sort of address that right now, Steve, but like, where do you go from here? Like, um, what's left to be done and maybe use that, this work in, in context of the rest of your business, you said it's, it's the number one engineering resource. Like, yeah. So I, I, I think we have a, an 18 month journey here of, uh, incorporating GPT four into the business and, and there's other use cases. I mean, listen, all the use cases you've heard in terms of code generation and marketing and creating content and I mean, all that stuff, but to me, those are not unique to our business. Those are use cases we should be adopting. Uh, but there's nothing unique about them. It's like, okay, your marketers use this to write and your coders use it to do code and we'll use it for customer service. Those are all very garden variety use cases that we will incorporate into the business. So uh, I, I really kind of see two branches. So we go ahead, you, uh, you're, you're gonna, your first phase will be on subscription management around uh, introducing GPT-4. The second phase will be on bill negotiations. Um, that will take 18 months. And I, and I think what it does after you roll it through those is I, I can already see where GPT-4 will allow us to create different products and product sets beyond that. Um, those are in the very early formative stages, though. You know, I, think, I think we have some good ideas. You can't, you can't eat it all at once. <laughs> um, but what I would tell you is I, I, I think it really opens up the uh, imaginations and possibilities to build products and services, you know, that were high human touch before that could be lower human touch that, you know, I think you're gonna be able to build products and services 
in fintech that you couldn't build otherwise that used to require a high human touch, which would have a lower human touch at a lower cost. I mean, to me, generically speaking, that's what's after this. I love what you're saying. Also, I got my wheels spinning in my head. I'm thinking like, if you get that right, um, what's to stop you from, you know, having the bot like proactively look at my subscriptions and, and flagging certain things and finding me substitutions for that too, like based on what people like me consume, you know, like that's, that just I think, takes, uh, yeah. I think you're on, I think you're onto something there. <laughs> I think you're onto something there. Yeah, no doubt. I think you're onto something there. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet podcast, dude. Absolutely. Zach, thank you so much. 